This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. In the ministry of William Branham and the cult that was established to follow him, there is one subject that is seldom preached, pride. Pride is the elephant in the room. Most pastors know that they suffer from pride, but they don't fully understand why. Most imitators of those pastors suffer from pride, but they don't understand why. They're not realizing that they're imitating the very sin that their pastors are trying to hide from the people. I've often wondered why so many in this cult and others like it are so filled with pride. In the over 1,000 sermons that William Branham recorded, pride is very, very seldomly mentioned. Many times when William Branham is describing pride, he's describing his Kentucky pride, or he's using it as an insult to the theologians because they are trying to study and they're trying to learn the scriptures. It is ironic because some theologians are almost worshipped by William Branham, like George Lamsa, a theologian who could not have been farther from the truth than many of the men that William Branham condemned. Lamza denied the deity of Christ and changed the words on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He changed them to heretical words, like uh, his quote was, My God, my God, for this I was spared? It's interesting when you consider that in 1955, William Branham preached an entire sermon with the title, Pride, Yet he only mentions the word pride twice in the entire sermon. Once for the title, and once for the description of the title. <clears throat> Even more ironic is that the entire sermon, start to finish, is exactly opposite of what it should have been. Branham was actually promoting pride instead of opposing it. In the sermon, Branham 
tries to drive the point home. And he uses an example of crows and doves. He uses this example using crows as the example for anyone who does not hold to his way of thinking. Or those that knew that he was lying about all these things. While he used the example of doves for the little bride. And he called his congregations the little bride. So he was basically saying, if you're in my congregation, you're a dove. If you're not a believer of what I'm telling you, <laughs> these lies that I'm feeding you, then you're, you're basically, you are a crow. Pride. Rather than using the example that Christ gave us, the many examples in the Bible of the lamb eating, conversing, supporting, uplifting the crows, Branham takes a different stance. Branham's dove must stay away from the crows. And the sermon <laughs> is quite comical if you break it down into sections. The first section of the sermon entitled Pride was divine healing. <clears throat> and during this entire section, Branham gives examples of I did this, and I did that. And then he gives this prideful story of his challenge to a doctor. The one where he said that if the person wasn't healed, the doctor would have to wear a sign on his back, quack doctor. And if the doctor won the bet, then Branham would wear the sign, false prophet. Now the healing, he tried to intertwine with the prophecy, because he knew the prophecy was a big hoax. So he uses this healing to promote himself as a prophet. But not only do the theologians Branham condemn know this is a very prideful, sinful statement, they also know that you never preach in support of gambling to an audience that con condemns it. <laughs> and yet he's making a bet with this doctor. Also, right before the sermon, the title, right before it's given, Branham admits that he does not teach divine healing from a doctrinal standpoint in the sermon the very previous night. <laughs> so instead, Branham gives many examples of the life of Christ and shows how similar they were to his own ministry. At that point, pride became selfishness. To uplift oneself to the level of Christ is not only sinful, but quite frankly, it's blasphemy. As Christians, we do have access to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Don't get me wrong. But we must never lose sight of the fact that the Holy Spirit sent from heaven above into our hearts, the Holy Spirit is the one helping us. And only because of Jesus Christ. It's not that we're all powerful. We don't go boasting to the doctors, who are probably Christians to begin with, that their work is useless and our power is greater than theirs. The Almighty Oz has spoken. I would almost guarantee you that the doctor that Branham challenged, if the story is true and not another one of his fabrications, I would guarantee you that this doctor had saved many lives. 
And if you take the many fake stories that are mixed in with the true stories in William Branham, his record might even be a little bit better. Each life that he saved as a doctor, if he were a true Christian, he would give the praise and the honor and the glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, not to himself as a doctor. As soon as the title is given, Branham starts into the dove and crow ministry. Separate yourselves. Do not associate with those guys over there because they're sinners. <laughs> if they don't believe me, they are lost. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> Doomed to hell. No chance for them through our witness. Let's don't even witness to them. Let them fend for themselves and maybe God will snatch a few from the fire. Think of how wrong that is. Many cult ministers of today have that same theology. I was at a cult pastor's house whenever a woman walked up to his door seeking help from a pastor. But she was wearing those blue jeans. Oh my. I heard the pastor say to his wife, well, we can't let her in the house. <laughs> She's seeking to find God and he's turning her away from his door. And it was a family member of mine. I'm ashamed to be a Collins. It's unbelievable. These cult pastors have that same theology. Came directly from William Branham. Have you ever stopped to consider that those that they turn away, those who they say should fend for themselves, have you ever stopped to consider who it is that God will send to these people? It's not a cult member because they've been told to keep completely separate from those guys over there. They're sinners. Have you ever stopped to think about who God sends? Could it be that the theologians, <laughs> the theologians that Branham condemned, are bringing more souls to Christ? Could it be? Could it be that these theologians that William Branham insulted through his entire ministry with pride, Sinful pride. Could it be that these theologians have brought more souls to Jesus Christ than the entire ministry of William Branham? Could it be? There's an awful lot of sinners in the world, and there is only this little bride. And they are little bride, little by nature. But Jesus said, the harvest is great and the workers are few. Branham also gives this statement in the sermon, <clears throat> and then he gives a statement that is spitefully wrong. He says, on the sermon pride, 1955, so a hypocrite, an imposter, can go into the world and affiliate with the world and act like the world <laughs> and live in the world and enjoy the pleasures of the world because I told you don't watch TV and come to a church and pretend to be a Christian. But the real Christian, now listen to this. This is William Branham, your false prophet. Listen to this. But the real Christian can't go out into the world and come back. There's something wrong. Boo! <laughs> if you go over there and see that there are other real Christians out there, you can't come back. <laughs> this is the very reason that these cult pastors emphasize they went out among from among us because they were not of us. 
How many times have you heard that through the pulpits from these guys? Basically, keep separate because as soon as you find out that they're going to go out and they're going to serve the Lord and they're going to bring more souls to Christ than me who doesn't want to witness to the lost, you're going to start thinking, well, they may be a better pastor than I am because I hide in my little corner. What if Jesus Christ did that? What if Jesus Christ ignored the entire children of Israel because they continually fell into sin? What if he told the woman at the well, you're a hypocrite and an imposter, and since you have left the good and godly life, you can never come back. See the difference between the two? You've got William Branham who's sinful, prideful, selfish, and you've got Jesus Christ who's uplifting the sinners, trying to bring them back into Christ. Jesus did not teach like this. <coughs> Jesus, in every example he gave, he threw this back into the faces of men like William Branham. He said, whoever is without sin cast the first stone. Whoever fills their sermons with lies and false prophecy cast the first stone. That's the way Jesus did it. The biggest irony in the entire sermon is this. Branham pretends to be a theologian. Though he's condemning the theologians, he pretends to be a study of the Greek language. He pretends to have examined the word Pharisee and has gleaned its meaning from the context of Scripture. He claims that the word Pharisee means actor, one who acts, one who pretends to be righteous, one who's putting on a show. It's it's a great comedy, man. The meaning of the word actually derives from the Hebrew root of the word. And remember, they have uh, no vowels, so it is the Hebrew word P-R-S, however you pronounce this, which means to separate or to detach. Think of it. A Pharisee is a person who separates themselves. <laughs> the meaning of the word Pharisee is the primary foundation for the entire cult. The entire cult of William Branham. We might as well call them the Pharisees. <laughs> it, it, it cracks me up, man. It is exactly Branham's theology to separate yourselves, to be this little tiny cult in the corner of a large room of Christians. Be Pharisees. Come on, be a Pharisee. It's godly to be a Pharisee. That's what he's telling us. <laughs> this puts William Branham, pride and all, in the same category as the Pharisees during the days of Jesus Christ. Listen to Josephus. When Josephus, in his writings, gave descriptions of the Pharisees, compare how similar they are to that of William Branham. Josephus says that the Pharisees maintained a simple lifestyle. They were a humble people from the hills of Kentucky. They were affectionate and harmonious in their dealings with others. They were especially respectful to their elders. They worshipped John Alexander Dowie, even though he was wrong, because he was an elder and quite influential to the land of Israel. He had a great healing ministry. Although 
At the time of Herod, they only numbered about 6,000. They were the little bride that separated themselves. Josephus mentions their belief in fate. Think of it. You've got a man, William Branham, who is promoting the Zodiac. He's promoting your fate, which is a Hindu pagan worship. And the, and the human will, you have willpower over sin. That's how the Pharisees taught it. That's how William Branham taught it. The immorality of both good and evil persons. Serpent seed. Their serpent seed if they don't follow my Pharisee, my separation. <laughs> Some Pharisees refused to take oaths. They refused to join a church because that piece of paper just might condemn you to hell. Don't even know that there's not a piece of paper, and that is to be numbered, like the whole book of numbers. Why did they have a book of numbers if you can't number yourself with the elect bride of Christ? Why do you need a book of numbers? <clears throat> Some Pharisees refuse to take oaths. Of particular importance are Josephus' statements about the Pharisees. They adhered to the laws, <coughs> the laws of which the deity approves. In other words, I we're going to support that law because that's the one where you tithe to us. But that part of the law where we give it back to you, nah. <laughs> it's for us. It's not for you. The deity says so. <laughs> the Almighty Oz has spoken. It's crazy. We're going to uphold each one of these sections of the law, but when it says to stone your son when he disobeys, well, we can't do that. We'll get thrown in prison. But you must not braid your hair. Wait, oh wait, that one was acceptable. <laughs> it was a law. There are so many laws that they pick and they choose, just like the Pharisees did. They are considered the most accurate interpreters of the laws. How many of you have said, well, William Branham, he picked and chose the laws, which ones we could follow, which ones we couldn't, because he was the most accurate interpreter of the law. <laughs> he was a Pharisee. Pharisees follow the guidance of that which the doctrine has selected and transmitted as good, their doctrine, attaching to the chief importance to the observance of those commandments which has been seen fit for themselves. This is Josephus. This is Josephus, the greatest historian of the children of Israel and the movement of Israel. <clears throat> and he has just described William Branham. But he uses a different name for William Branham. He calls them Pharisee. The entire rest of the sermon of William Branham. Entire rest of the sermon was prideful against those who studied their Bibles. You would think he would support those who are trying to learn more about their Bible. But it's against them because he knows he's never read the book. I will almost guarantee you, and it is my opinion, but because of the examples he gives, how far they are from the scriptures, I do not think that this man ever read the book. In fact, there is witness testimony coming out of Canada that on the hunting trips he never cracked open the leather. He goes on and on. He mocks those 
who study their Bibles, Dr. Simon Pharisee, Dr. Jones, and more. But at the end of this sermon, this crazy wrong sermon, think about this. At the end of the sermon, not a single Christian, not a single one, and this is away from his home church, not a single Christian stood to their feet during the altar call. This upset Branham. <laughs> it again, it's comical. Most Christians who study their Bibles, they know that pride is a sin, and they know that what this man has just shoveled down their mouths and down their throat is a heap of garbage. They know it. They would never have sat through the entire sermon without the Holy Spirit in their hearts ringing those warning bells. Stop, wait, there's something wrong here. This guy doesn't know his Bible. I would, in fact, I'd be surprised if a few didn't get up and leave whenever they heard this hogwash. Most Christians study their Bible. Most cult followers study their tapes. But Branham's anger and Branham's pride grew and grew and grew. When they did not get up for the altar call, Branham condemned them. He was so filled with pride. <coughs> he was so filled with pride, he was bursting at the seams during the closing prayer. The prayer itself was prideful in a sermon that is entitled Pride. It was an, I'm right, you're wrong, so you're all going to hell. In a prayer. Listen to this prayer. This comes from the sermon Pride at the end. Heavenly Father, to this audience that's here today, I've offered them, according to thy word, <coughs> I've offered them eternal, everlasting life through Jesus Christ. Not you've offered them, but I've offered them. He says, I do not know their hearts. I do not know why they did not accept it. I've seen the darkness and blackness through the vision hanging over the people. Thou knowest and seen others healed, even physically, while they were, while the sermon was going on. <coughs> he says, and your presence was here. It's here yet. He says, why don't these people receive you? It's beyond me. Nobody's standing when I said stand. Oh, no. He says, maybe they've heard it before and you said, I will not always strive with men. That's up to you, Father. I don't know. I commend them all to you, praying that, praying that not one will be lost. I thank for you for that. You've done. I ask your blessings on them, Father. Now, in this prayer, he says that they have crossed the line. The words, and I'll read them again, maybe they've crossed the line where they can't do it no more. So we have a prayer where he says, I've offered them, not you've offered them, and maybe they've crossed the line. In other words, I'm the Pharisee, and they didn't choose to be in my corner of the room. I don't know about you, this, this prayer just makes you sick to your stomach as a Christian. What if Paul or Peter had done this? What if they prayed prayers like this? Would there even be a single Christian church in your country if Paul and if Peter had preached with an attitude of scorn? Could they have saved the lost if they acted like, well, we have to be separate from them because those guys are evil? What would happen? Proverbs 16, 18 says that pride what William Branham just did, pride goes before destruction, what happened to William Branham, and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
we have pride, we have a haughty spirit, and we have a fall. Proverbs is a better prophecy than William Branham's any prophecy. Even worse, Proverbs 8 says this, The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. We have to hate these things if we fear God. It says, Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. In other words, when you see a minister standing up there like this with pride, condemning others, having perverted speech, lies about their own past, false prophecies, lies about the scripture, saying, Thus saith the Lord, when the Lord has not spoken, I hate. And Paul did not preach against the theologians who are trying to gain more knowledge. <clears throat> Have you ever studied Luke? Not the book, but the man. Paul does not condemn those that are studying and trying to learn. In fact, he gave them full support. <clears throat> Paul says this, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. How does that compare with the, the sermons that you're hearing now from these cult pastors that knowledge is of the devil? Paul says we destroy those arguments and every opinion raised against them. This is the knowledge of God and every, he says, and take every thought captive so they obey Christ. I wish Paul were here today so he could take those ministers captive and make them obey Christ. Listen to the night and day difference between Branham's sermon on pride and the one that the Apostle Paul gives. Branham preaches on the topic of pride, and it is difficult for you as the listener to understand whether he's supporting it or whether he's against it, because while he's saying all of these things, he is so filled with pride himself that the congregation even refused to stand up at the altar call. Paul preaches against pride, definitely, all throughout his ministry. <clears throat> and when, when given his section, <clears throat> whenever he's speaking to the Corinthians, there's a section of the letter dealing with pride. And Paul gives it with humility. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 10. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. I, whom am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when you are away. I beg of you that when I am present, that I may not show boldness with confidence, as I count on showing against someone who suspect us of walking according to the flesh, walking in pride. For though we walk in the flesh, <coughs> he says, we're not waging war against the, the flesh. In other words, Pride is not going to help us to gain souls. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. In other words, if you come with humility, with grace, with love, and you don't separate yourself into this little corner like the Pharisees did, you have access to divine power. He says, we destroy arguments of every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready, listen to this, being ready to punish every disobedience. 
I get letters all the time from around the world. Who are you to speak out against William Branham and those cult pastors? Who are you to do this? Paul says, ready to punish every disobedience. He says, when your obedience is complete, Paul is preparing a church with knowledge of the Bible so that they can speak and they can condemn that devil that is doing what he's seeing, that Pharisee spirit. <clears throat> Paul, he goes on. Paul says, look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself <clears throat> that just as he is Christ, so also are we. In other words, <clears throat> if you get built up in pride, don't become so built up that you're above everybody else. We're all fighting the same battle. He says, <clears throat> he says, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, not for condemning those in the church when they disagreed with your crazy wrong sermon. He says, <clears throat> he says, the Lord gave us for building this up and not for destroying us. I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear frightening before you with my letters. I do not want to be like William Branham and scare you with these crazy wild wrong stories of the man from Windsor who died, ran screaming, paralyzed at the platform, died six months later, died six weeks later, still living to this day. I don't want to scare you, Paul says. Paul goes on, he says, For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his body presence is weak and a speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, <clears throat> we do not in present. In other words, these letters <clears throat> that Paul is writing is greater than this little group that's sitting here. Paul, by divine inspiration, knew that these letters were going to be part of the Word of God. And if he didn't know it, then God was preparing him for such. He says, <clears throat> Not that we dare classify or compare ourselves with some who are commending themselves, like William Branham, but when they measure themselves by one another, <clears throat> and when they compare themselves with one another, he says they are without understanding. When William Branham commends himself, when he's comparing to that doctor that he calls a quack, who is likely to be a Christian, he says, Paul says, they're without understanding. He says, Paul goes on, but we will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only with regard to the area of influence that God assigned to us. In other words, when William Branham said that he was not a teacher. He was just called for healing. Why did he start teaching? Because if you look at the teaching, almost every single doctrine came from cult leaders like Charles Taze Russell, John Alexander Dowie, Joseph Smith of the Mormons. Why does he teach this stuff when he admits he's not a teacher? Paul says, for we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. <clears throat> for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. Paul had every reason to boast. 
Paul is the one who did it. But Paul knows that if he promotes himself, they're going to look to him. But Paul wants them to look to God, <clears throat> to look to the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and Paul wants to build up a church that is strong in the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want to build up one man himself. <clears throat> Paul says, let such, such a person understand that we do by letter when absent, when we do present. Think about this. <clears throat> William Branham, he recorded all of these tapes. And all of these tapes, he claimed, was the ministry that was the voice of God. But when he went before the people, he did the same thing with pride and arrogance. And Paul says that Paul does not boast beyond limits. Paul says... <clears throat> We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. But, he says, our hope is that your faith increases, not that my power increases. And he says, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. Paul is not stopping and focusing on just the Corinthians. He's focusing everywhere. He says without boasting of work that's already been done in another's area of influence. Let me reread that. Without boasting of work that's already been done <clears throat> in another area of influence. Think of the sermons of William Branham. When I was in California, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. Then he goes to the next town. When I was in Arkansas, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that, I did this. Go look at any one of the sermons and look at the very first section, the first 25% of the sermon, you're going to find, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. That's how William Branham preached. And Paul says, don't do it. Paul says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Do not boast of work that's already been done in another area of influence. Paul says, For it is not the one who commends himself that is approved, but is the one who God commends. In other words, if I'm in California and God does a great, powerful work, don't point back there because those people weren't in California. If you're in Arkansas, show the work. Don't tell about something that happened to somebody else. These people are looking for the work of God in their own lives, in their own town, in their own city, in their own churches. But that is not what we find with William Branham. So after we see <clears throat> this crazy wrong teaching, this crazy wrong sermon, I've got a question for all of these new apologetics that are springing up in cities around the world. <coughs> There's so many apologetics that have now found that William Branham had false prophecy, is riddled with false prophecy. Not a single prophecy can be proven to have been prophesied before the event even happened, and then after the prophecy is described later, it changes over time and morphs into another prophecy. They're talking about the prophecies, they're talking about all the lies, how not a single one of his life stories match, how he lied about practically every story he's hiding the first 25 years of his life all these apologetics are springing up my question is this <clears throat> the prophecies the lies 
are they as damaging as the false teaching? To the body of Christ, are these prophecies and are these lies, are they the ones that are damaging the body of Christ? Or is it the false teachings that is building up prideful people? That's the question I'll leave you with.